Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number four. Since episode number three, I'm still working on the Total Television scrapbook, and I'm trying to get a book about Joe Simon's Sick magazine published. I have a phone call tomorrow set up. And Titan Books was interested in it for over a year, then they finally turned me down saying that humor doesn't sell. So I am trying to line up another publisher at this time. In the meantime, the Friendly Ghosts, Little Devils, Giants, and Rich Kids, the Art and Creations of Warren Kremer book is almost ready to turn in. The Kremer family asked to give them a couple more weeks, so I'm hopeful that I can turn it in by the end of October for a 2019 release. And of course, send your emails and your theme songs to funideas.mark at gmail.com. On today's show, we have someone who has written a book about his career as a warm-up guy for various TV shows called, what else? The Warm-Up Guy, by Bob Perlow with Richard Cummins, doing audience warm-up for such shows as The Hollywood Squares. But Bob has done much more than that. In his book, as well as in his career, Bob Perlow has written episodes of some of your favorite sitcoms, including Newhart, Laverne Shirley, Mork and Mindy, Webster, Mr. Belvedere, Full House, and also appeared as an actor on many of those shows and others as well. He's also a close personal friend with Jay Leno. So here he is, Bob Perlow. All right, on the phone I have Bob Perlow. Hello, Bob. How are you doing? Hey, Mark Arnold, or Arnold Mark. <laughs> so, Mark Arnold, we'll go with that one. <laughs> so, so your book's called The Warm-Up Guy, and I guess just tell us, what is a warm-up guy? Is it different than a stand-up comedian, or? Not even uh, remotely close. It, it's, it's a different animal entirely. A warm-up guy um, pretty much takes place within the confines of L.A. or any place else where they have an audience. Mm-hmm. People that watch TV, they just see the show, but a live taping requires people to sit for hours. Mm-hmm. And nobody on the production team, cameramen, directors, writers, will talk to an audience. It's not not that they're against it, but they're all <laughs> working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they hire somebody like me to not entertain because... You can't entertain people for five hours. It just doesn't make sense to to just be with them and and guide them through it and talk to them. Mm. And when you when you said, "Is this a like a comic?" Comics have a tough time with warm ups because they have their sets, mm-hmm. and unless they're, they're versed in improvisation, once they go through their their routines. They're still looking at four and a half hours of, of talking. Luckily, I don't have a routine or <laughs> jokes, and I just uh, am good at talking. So hopefully it's funny, <laughs> but that's just a bonus in this case. So so how did you get into this? I, I see you did it for Hollywood Squares. Um, uh, which version was that one? Who was the host? The one with, with Whoopi as the host. Got it, okay. But that was, that was later in my uh, career. When I first started mm-hmm. was with Laverne and Shirley. Mm. And it only happened because at that time, <clears throat> Gary Marshall, who was the producer and brother of Penny and also 
<laughs> and they would give uh, give a ride of fifty bucks, and it, it was pretty rudimentary because um, they really didn't care too much about it. You know, the, the audience was there because it was a hit show, and they were going to stay. And it was new for a lot of people. But as time went on, there were more sitcoms that came into the fold. Audiences uh, were at a premium. Hmm. And they had to stay and they had to laugh. And I thought, I wonder if this would be an actual job instead of someone saying, go out and talk to them. So it occurred to me that I could hire myself out at other shows and maybe make a living at it. And lo and behold, it did. So I, I just started working on all the big shows at the time, which was Taxi, Cheers, Newhart, Night Court, Coach, well over 100, hmm. and literally thousands of, of warm-ups. Um, we do two to three a week for close to 40 years. Hmm. Wow. Um, now, you're saying you're doing improvisation mainly, but did you have anything kind of set uh, that you would talk about or uh, tell the audience or for this? Very little. If you, if you fell into that, you know, you know, if you have a half hour, you could almost do that, or even an hour. But with this much time, you had to really wing it. Uh, as far as set pieces, you know, I had them up dancing, so if you want to call that a, a set piece, <laughs> yeah. I guess you can. Mm -hmm. um, but then I would come up with ways that I would have fun. I would find a, somebody that was visiting the country, and I made believe I had the authority, <laughs> the authority to make them a citizen for $20. Mm. <laughs> and I would have a Bible, and I would play music, uh, Welcome to America, and... <laughs> $20. Now, people say, oh, you gave it back. I go, well, no. It was much funnier <laughs> if I kept the 20 Because <laughs> at the end, they go, hey, that was funny. Get my 20 You go, no, you're, you're a citizen now. You could you know, check with the embassy tomorrow. <laughs> and, you know, tomorrow I'd be gone. <laughs> now, I know it's also... Uh, yeah, oh, go ahead. Sorry. As far as a set piece, maybe, maybe that... But I wouldn't do it every time. So I, I didn't go in... With, with this in mind, it would just, you know, over the course of five hours, you don't want to be, t oh, I forgot to do this. It would just, the, the audience would dictate kind of what I would be doing. Mm, okay. And um, I noticed you wrote some of the scripts for some of these shows that you actually did the warm-ups for. Did you do that um, consistently, or did that just happen, or how did that work? No, I was, I was, if somebody said, what, what did you do? I go, I was a writer and a warm-up guy and an actor. Mm -hmm. You know, that, uh, I was on staff for quite a few shows, so it wasn't just, you know, oh, here's a, here's a script. I was on, who's the boss for two years, um, she's the sheriff, full house, and then, um, you know, pretty consistent over the years as a, as a writer. Hmm, okay. But, I mean, did you do every role together? Like, I, I I didn't check which episodes, but, you know, did you do a warm-up and actually write the episode and maybe even have a bit part in the episode at the same week, or would that be too much too much to do at one time or a conflict or whatever? <laughs> no. I mean, sometimes I would. It, it would be difficult acting-wise mm -hmm. because... If I left the audience and went down on the stage to act, it would be 
like leaving a, like a substitute teacher going, I'll be right back, you kids behave. Because they were, whether they were in their 50s or 80s, if there's no teacher there to say, then they, they wouldn't. So, uh, you know, that was the main job. But if it coincided with me getting a part on that episode, I had to really be the substitute teacher that said, all right, listen, Mr. Perlow's going to be away for a little while. You behave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll be right there and I can see you, so be nice. Mm -hmm. um, as far as writing an episode, you do that at night when you're not doing the warm-ups, so that didn't conflict with, you know, the, the writing and the warm-up would not conflict. Got it, okay. And do, is your style of warm-up similar to other people like I, I don't know if you're familiar with Stu Showstack he does a podcast too and he used to do warm-ups too uh way back in like the 80s and stuff like that um did did you all have your own style or you all kind of do the same type of thing or how does that work I didn't look at other guys okay for that very reason that I go oh he's doing magic this guy's doing uh, a unicycle and this guy I, I didn't want to know what they were doing and consequently I never plus we, we all worked pretty much on the same night mm -hmm. uh, guys that are active today are telling me that they saw me but I didn't have that ability because I, I didn't see anybody before I did it mm -hmm. I would have <laughs> so I'm not I'm not looking at it as wow we got to go watch Bob Pearl no but they weren't working so they would come and see how it was done mm. I you know there was no one to see when I did it I just had to make it up as I went along and as I got further into it that was working for me so there was no reason for me to go check someone else out and you know be accused of oh you took my bit <laughs> you know I had my own bit. from what I hear people people kind of um, borrowed for what I did. I, I was the first one to use music and have a, a, a you know, a not a disc jockey, but a, a music guy that had my music that would play appropriate um, either little things. If I was looking at someone and it was weird, he knew to put it on the Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. um, if it was America the Beautiful when I was staring somebody in. So, Going back to, did I plan anything? No, but if it came up, the guy that I hired would know where I was going with that particular bit. Mm -hmm. Now, now, is there ever a warm up that you can think of, or maybe a number of them that might that didn't work, just because of the length of time and the audience was just getting restless, or did you somehow manage to get the audience back in any case? I had a nickel for everyone that didn't work. that like these sitcoms I have never sat in an audience for a sitcom but uh, I've heard that 
over time, it has gotten longer. You're saying eight hours for friends, and it's probably even impossibly long now. Uh, how do people put up with it? I mean, are they allowed to leave, or are they? Just, you said they couldn't eat, so I mean, what do they do? They get really restless. They yell at me, <laughs> and I. Well, yeah. Well, it goes from they're happy to be there. Oh, look, we got tickets to Friends. This is so great. To they're looking at their watches. They go, wait, it's an hour and a half in, and they're only in the second scene. So now they tolerate me. To six hours later, they hate me. Wow. As 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 I would them. I mean, but you say, well, what do they do? It's my job to keep them there. Mm-hmm. And consequently, you know, it became a lucrative business because um, I, I prided myself in the fact that I could keep them. Mm-hmm. Now, do you they just... tried to leave. I go, hey, where you going? And remember, I'm the only one with a microphone, so <laughs> no matter what they said, you couldn't hear them. I go, where you going? <laughs> uh, just go to the bathroom, and there'll be a couple. I go, well, okay, let her, she stays here while you're gone. <laughs> well, they go, well, we're going we're gonna to go eat. I go, nothing's open now. It's 10 o'clock. Sit down. <laughs> so there were a million ways to handle it, but, you know, if the audience emptied out, I would get, you know, they would, I wouldn't get hired again. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, do you still do audience warm-ups today, or is that just all in the past and what you talk about in the book? Oh, it's in the past, Mark. <laughs> I'm living in Narragansett, Rhode Island. I, I uh, ended up on the Tonight Show for 15 years. Okay. With Jay. Yeah. I was, talk- I was talking to your co-author, Richard, prior to this, and he was saying that you were roommates with Jay Leno. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, we were roommates. So. Matter of fact, um, when you mentioned the book, it's called The Warm-Up Guy. Mm-hmm. And... Next week, we're filming a uh, documentary about the book, mm-hmm. and we have lined up Jay, Jason Alexander, Fred Willard, Bob Saget, uh, Joel Zwick, who was the original director of Laverne and Shirley, and some current warm-up guys, so this is in the works now for a documentary about the book. Mm, very good. So, um, talk a little bit more about Jay, just since, you know, I brought him up or we were talking about him. Uh, did you know him since childhood, or just, uh, how'd you, how'd you meet up with him? He met, um, he was in college in Boston, and I was uh, a college professor at the time. This wow. was in the early 70s. <laughs> the two of us, independent of each other, answered the same ad in an underground newspaper, which kind of points up what kind of people we were. <laughs> the ad said, are you funny? <laughs> and so he gave a number to call, and we both answered it, and that's how we met. It was for an improv comedy group, oh, wow. and that was in the 70s, and it was called Fresh Fruit Cocktail. And we played a lot of colleges in Boston and uh, uh, played the Boston Playboy Club. We opened for Soupy Sales. <laughs> and then after that, Jay moved. He wanted to be a stand-up comic. He moved to L.A., and I stayed in Boston, and then I worked on cruise ships. Mm. But then this, I became a tour bus guide. Mm. I would bring people up and down the coast of California, and he was still trying to break into stand-up at the improv. And since I moved out then, he was uh, floundering around, moving from place to place. 
Hmm. Okay. Uh, how, how, without any salacious details, how was that? I mean, was he a good roommate or is he kind of a slob? Or... <laughs> oh, it was not the odd couple. He, he's, uh, um, you know, he was so focused on his career that he didn't spend much time at home. He was always writing. He was doing gigs. He was working at the improv, and I was uh, still being a tour guide. Yes. So, you know, the, our lives. Yeah. And we bought a motorcycle together, his first motorcycle. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we started on the side of the road to go, come on, let's, let's do it. We'll chip in each. It was like 300 bucks. And, uh, you know, that was, he, now he has a garage full of them. And then, right. <laughs> then I have a bike. <laughs> now, um, uh, you you seem at the time to be pretty busy, too. So was, were you, like, never at home, both of you doing your own uh, following your own career aspirations and things like that? No, I was a tour guide. I, right. When he was doing stand-up, I was on buses going to San Francisco giving tours. Hmm. And then I just fell into, somebody once said, gee, you're funny, you want to be a writer? I go, okay. <laughs> and three days later, I was a writer on Laverne and Shirley. Wow. Yeah, I've known a couple other yeah, writers. One way, yes. Uh, yeah, just has to be. Oh, it's not even one way. It was, it was a, it was yeah. Out of the blue. Wait, what do you mean? That's one way. It's, 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 like, it's a stupid way to do it. I didn't. I wasn't prepared. I didn't even. I go, yeah, I'll do it. Actually, actually you telling me that? That's kind of bizarre. I mean, what were they doing in San Francisco if uh, Laverne Shirley was in Hollywood and things like that? I don't know. It just seems odd that they would just pluck some guy doing a. a um, you know, <laughs> did you have any yeah. prior contacts down there, and it just kind of happened, or you, you never found out? It was just <laughs> kind of happened. I met a guy, a, a friend that I'm still friends. As a matter of fact, he he wrote uh, the forward to the, my book, mm-hmm. Mark Sotkin, and he he's, he he was. Uh, so many things have to happen for things to fall into place. He was a writer. No, he was an improv. He was in an improv group in L.A. Mm-hmm. And one day, one night, Gary Marshall sent one of his producers not to see Mark, but to see this girl that was in the group with him. And this guy said, wow, she's okay, but this other guy is great. And then Gary said, ah, maybe he should be a writer. And he became a writer like that. And then we met, and then he became a producer, and he said, you know, you're funny, you want to be a writer. Once again, very serendipitous as far as, you know, everything falling into place to, to make this career. Now, how, how did they know you could be a writer? Is it just something you talked about? or Because, I mean, writing and performing is a little bit different. It's funny. You know, let's get him on staff and see if it relates to from the, from what he can do to the page. Okay. And did you have to follow? Yeah. Did, did they teach you like a proper format, or do you just have to kind of learn it on the fly, or how did that work? On the fly, yeah. and you and after two days, you see the formula. It's you need a joke when Lenny and Squeaky leave the room. <laughs> you need a joke every two 
Yeah, I have all the episodes, so yes. Um, I don't know which episodes you did. If you'd say the storyline, I might know the story. Yeah, go ahead. Right, but I'm talking about the cadence of this speech. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. you're writing, it's a whole Laverne. Squeaky comes in and says, hello, Laverne. That doesn't... That doesn't relate. You gotta in your mind go, Hello Levan Right. <laughs> it, it takes yeah. on a whole different meaning when you use somebody did this the other night. They go, Oh, I love Squiggy when he says Hello Laverne. So mm-hmm. no, he doesn't say hello Laverne. He goes, Hello Levan Yeah. <laughs> and it, you get the cadence of the speech. Yeah. Or sometimes just hello like that. That's how I remember it. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and it, and uh, usually at an inopportune time or where it would be funny because of whatever just happened just prior. So, you know. Like, no, no, <laughs> Mark. It has to be at an opportune time. Well, yes, you're probably right, yes. <laughs> it has to come off of either Laverne or Shirley going, they're looking at a, at a plate of food and it's just a for instance. And it, the, the, it looks like mush, and she's got to say something like, "Oh, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen." Boom! Hello, Levan. Yeah, yep, yep. Comes, <laughs> it comes off of what she just said. It can't, it can't come in from out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Now, now, is it, when you say is there a formula, that's kind of a formula, you know. When mm-hmm. you you know that when do they enter and how do they leave? Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, those things are part of the fun. And every every show, like when in Friends, uh, when, when Matthew Perry, it just doesn't come out of the blue. Uh, you know, that's not good. You know, his rhythm, I forget the words that he used, but whatever it is, uh, can it be anymore, uh, Supreme Court? No matter what the words are, it's his rhythm. Right. Now, um, in writing these scripts, I mean, the episodes are usually like 24 or 26 minutes long. Are the scripts about that many pages, or are they you know, longer or shorter? How, 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 what's the format that you kind of use for writing something like that? It's tricky because if it's a show, now if you, and we're talking about Laverne and Shirley, where they do a lot of physical comedy, mm-hmm. they, you know, you go, they go up and down a supermarket and Laverne uh, bumps into you, that takes time, mm-hmm. as opposed to dialogue, which takes less time. So if a, if a episode has a lot of physical comedy, then you have to uh, factor that in mm-hmm. as far as the page count. But it can fluctuate, and you, you should always go a little long, because you, you can cut. Mm-hmm. If you're short, it's tough to fill once you once you started filming. Mm-hmm. And then on things like the physical action, I mean, how how do you write that? Do you just say Laverne and Shirley do their thing, or what? how do you uh, describe each action? You know or you know who you did that with? I worked on Mark and Mindy for a few years mm-hmm. with Robin. That's what you would do. Uh, Mark sees it, and you know you you kind of outline it, but you don't rope in Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. With Laverne, you go, okay, they take the car, they go down the aisle. She sees cereal, she puts it in, but then the whole thing falls on her head. And when it falls, Shirley comes around the corner and she's holding milk. And now she spills the milk, and what do you have? You have cereal. Right. <laughs> Again, this is 100 years ago, so. Right. But with Robin, you would leave it 
more blank than you would with Laverne. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, now, did you just write scripts just as text, or did you actually storyboard it out, or a little of both? Like, oh, yeah, it's, it's completely storyboarded out. You have meetings with the producer, and you do it almost beat by beat. Wow. So when you hand in your outline, not your script, mm-hmm. but they have to okay the outline, because, you know, if you say, well, they, they go to the store and they okay the store, now they're gonna build a store on the set. <laughs> so now it goes to props, they gotta fill the store with whatever it is, if we're going to the supermarket, that they have to go out and buy tons of stuff to fill the shelves. If they're going to a resort, they gotta build the room at the resort. If they're going to court, these are sets that have to be built. So. It's a, it, it gets a little complicated, and, and, you know, they have to do all this ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Now, at this point, is your job done as a scriptwriter, or do they call on you every step of the way? It depends. If you're on staff, um, you're there, and you're already working on next week's script, or they're working on your script. Mm-hmm. If you're a freelance writer... Once you hand it in, you're done. Hmm. It goes to the staff, and they're the ones that rewrite, and they have to rewrite because that's what they're paid for. Hmm. Very, very seldom is a script uh, not touched. And we're talking from the best writers in the business, it doesn't matter. Their jobs are to keep on tuning it, fine-tuning it, making it better. Now, I assume you've done both then, uh, freelancing and being on staff, right? Right. So which shows were you on staff versus freelancing, typically? Well, Laverne and Shirley, a show called Working Stiffs that nobody... Yeah, I remember. Didn't that have Michael Keaton on it or something like that? Was it that? Nobody but you. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm a little bit of a TV nerd, so yes, especially when it's from 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, that was my second job. Yeah. Michael Keat and Jim Belushi. Yeah, Belushi. That's right. It. He's on it. <laughs> I think I saw one of those. <laughs> so yeah. their father, who was the captain, I forget his name, Michael something. He was the one that said, "Be careful out there, boys on L.A. law." Oh, Michael Conrad. Yes. Mm-hmm. Look at you. <laughs> um, anyway, he was he was their uncle, and he was the, uh, I think he owned the building that they were the janitors in, mm-hmm. in Chicago, and that was Working Steps. Mm. And also, you know who else was in that? Paul Rubens, who was Pee Wee Herman. Wow. Paula Patterson, who was the stewardess on Airplane. Right. <laughs> sang with the guitar, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh... Guy from Nash, the Taglia. Um, hmm. Anyway, the, the not sure. No. <laughs> so I'm. Um, so okay, go ahead. So yeah, so I was on the staff there. Who's the boss? She's the sheriff. <laughs> uh, the good time girl. So there was a, a lot of writing throughout my career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Now, did you actually, you know, you talked about writing a script, making it a little bit longer, is easier than shorter, but did you actually have to time it, or is that somebody else that would do that? I mean, did you write it for, like, commercial breaks and keep that in mind while you're doing it, or...? Well, it's 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 a page count. It's it's a you know forty some odd pages, and you're in good shape. Okay. You know, new writers that aren't familiar with it, and if they made a mistake and came in with a movie length script, that would be the last one that they go to. They just <laughs> into their homework. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to get into the business, you you know you should be reading as many scripts as you can. Right. But um, are the scripts, I guess I haven't seen too many scripts, but I mean, are they paced to like, you know, even on Laverne Shirley, sometimes they have like a cliffhanger joke right before a commercial break and then, you know, come back to that and the resolution is after the break. Uh, Did you have to pace it that way? So after 10 minutes, let's say there was like this cliffhanger, as it were? Yeah, you'd be up till 2 in the morning around a table with, with food. (laughs) <laughs> with eight guys in a room, it's called a button. Hmm. Go, you can't just end a, a scene. You got to go out on a button, which is a, a joke. Uh-huh. And you know, cliffhanger not as important as a laugh. You know, it's, hmm. it should be compelling enough to have people stay tuned. Right. But the, the more important thing is a laugh at the end of the scene. Uh-huh. Now, did you actually... It's usually three acts, so you need three big laughs. And then, at the time, uh, they had tags, which sometimes happens these days and sometimes really doesn't. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't... It's, it, it's that little thing at the end of the show, where you, after the last commercial, you come back. It does not tie up the show. Right. Because... The whole purpose of it is to lose it in syndication. Right. So if, if you're looking to tie up the show with the tag, then you're doing it wrong. Ooh, okay. It's, no, really, because it's just going to be something that they could lose for time when they syndicate the show. Right. And that's what I was going to ask you about, but you, you kind of beat me to it, but that's okay. Um, yeah, it's like, I always called that, but tag is the proper term. I, was, I always call it the, the final punchline, as it were, of the episode, oh. you know. As a matter of fact, it says it on the, on the script, tag. Okay. And they send you out, go write a tag. Now, it, there's also something called the cold open. Right. Which we which is important these days because if, if you notice, if you watch TV today, which I don't know how many kids are watching it, they go right into the cold open, which right. is uh, right into the show before the credits, before anything. Yeah. And that's important hook to, to get people. Yeah, a lot of times they don't even have credits way, anymore. I, I mean, like a theme or anything. TV. Have you been watching TV this week? Uh, not this week, but what's what? Oh my! What's going I'm, on? I'm appalled <laughs> at, at shows that are on. I mean, I'm looking. I go, you know, I'm a TV nerd like you. <laughs> I go, please make me laugh, please. And I'm looking. I go, wow, no one's making me laugh. Yeah. Uh, happy together, single parents. This other one called Rel. Yeah. You know, it's easy for me to make fun of them, you know, sitting here in Rhode Island. <laughs> I don't care where I was, or even if I was still in the business, they're, they're awful. I mean, and 
I used to like, Modern Family. I don't know what, what they did. Maybe the, I think the kids got too gawky, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I was a fan. I mean, I, I want these shows to work. I'm not one of these guys, it uh, sound like it was when I was there. Right. No, it's, it's, I want to laugh. The Veep makes me laugh out loud. Mm-hmm. That's Barry. Yeah. Barry, one of the shows I've, I've seen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I want them to succeed, but my God, it's almost like they forgot how to be funny. Right. And that's the they problem. That's the problem I have a lot of times, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because um, one thing I've noticed, uh, you know, it's like uh, two two things. is that They don't make a lot of shows, and I'll continue to use Laverne and Shirley, like Laverne and Shirley or anything like that, where, you know, standard three set, camera setup, live audience, uh, funny, funny, funny. Uh, it, it's like nowadays it seems like there's this aversion to laugh tracks or live audiences, and everything has to be quasi-dramatic and serious. And I go, this is a sitcom? And, you know, I, I still like silly things like Big Bang Theory. You know, that's like the old school way of doing it. I agree. Well, he's, he's a genius. I worked for him on Dama and Greg and Two and a Half Men, Chuck Lorre. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he he's as bright and funny as you can get. Mm-hmm. So, he, he, you know, he does the Big Bang Theory. You know, he's he's right. good. Right. He does mom and, uh, well, now young Sheldon and things. But young Sheldon's like the new way of doing it, which is kind of odd, you know. Do you think these producers are forced to do it this non-laugh track, non-live audience way and do it, you know, semi-serious and things like that because nobody likes sitcoms or what? Most of them, yes, if they want to work. A guy like Chuck Lorre, he's he's the king. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could do it any way he wants. Yeah. He dictates that, but then there's not many Chuck Lorre's out there. There's Jim Burroughs, mm-hmm. who's a director, but he has the authority of, uh, of a king in L.A. I mean, from Night Court to Cheers to Will and Grace, mm-hmm. so he can he can do it the way he wants. But most of them, they hired guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, who who have you worked with over the years? You said Chuck Lorre, you said Gary Marshall, uh, other people that have uh, made different shows over the years that are any renown? <laughs> um, my friend Jeff Franklin, who did Full House, and mm. Malcolm and Eddie, and Hanging with Mr. Cooper, and movies. Um, we're still real good friends, but nobody that, that the public would really know. I mean, mm. the names I mentioned, uh, Gary and um, Chuck Lorre and Jim Burroughs, other than them, it would just be, oh yeah, I think I saw their name in the credits, but there, there wouldn't be anybody that right. is tuned That's in true. that would know. <laughs> um, so are you just completely out of the business now, or do you ever occasionally get called to write a script or do a, anything for television at this time? doing a one-man show where I, I talk about what we're talking about today, but just by accident, <laughs> I took pictures of me with everybody I've ever worked with, from Laverne and Shirley, and, and videos when it was available. They didn't have cell phones, so otherwise would have had videos of everyone, but I do a show where I talk about all my experiences. It's, it's called Tales from Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So I go on the road. I, I did it on cruise ships. I'm doing a, a show in Boulder, Colorado. I wrote the book. 
using some of the same footage from the one show to the documentary, or? or? Uh, yeah, I, I have so much for I mean, I could do, you know, hours and hours with the, with the footage that I have, so <laughs> I have to kind of cull it to, to whatever audience I have, because I got so much stuff that, oh, you know, we'd, we'd love you to do an hour, then I have to look, I go, how can I make this down to an hour, <laughs> not how can I fill an hour? I mean, it just, just you go name somebody, and I have a picture with, with me, and, that, and because I did 15 years on The Tonight Show, mm-hmm. not only did I meet sitcom people, but politicians and sports figures, so I was lucky that you know, you know, all these other warm-up guys, when I talk to them, they go, oh, you got pictures? I go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but all this st- pictures and footage, that's stuff you took? Or is it just like leftover, leftover, like they shot all the way through and you just happen to be on it? Or both? No, no, it's, it's mine. Oh, okay. It's, it's, of, it's of me, you know, if somebody had a, a video camera, that, that didn't start until the, the mid-80s. Before that, there wasn't much actual footage, footage. Okay. But once, you know, there, there was a camera, I used that. So I have videos and photos and music. So it's, it's kind of fun. Okay. And who who was recording that for you? You just set up the camera and were just there, or no, you had a friend? <laughs> People go, oh, so you're going to, did you just, uh, no, I needed not just a camera, but a third person to take the picture. Got so it, okay. It wasn't a, <laughs> you know, a selfie, you go, hey, wait, boom, done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I go, oh, can I, uh, you got us in the thing, I take, oh, take another one. So it was a pain in the ass to <laughs> people to do it. Because, yeah, it's kind of unique. I mean, like I said, you know, before we spoke, you know, I just kind of thought you just were like a stand-up comedian, but you did it right before the show and, and just say a few jokes, and, was, and now here's the show, just to get people laughing. I didn't really understand what you did, so that explains it. Well, that, that's kind of what, what these guys that are doing a documentary said. They go, not only do people in America have no idea what a warm-up guy is. A lot of people in the business don't even know. <laughs> they just see a show, they go, oh, the audience just watch them. No, it's ours. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a little tedious. But, as I said earlier, when I did the bus tours, I was on the microphone for two weeks at a time. Oh, wow. <laughs> but the tours took two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I, I had, you know, I had a good training. Mm-hmm. Now you talked about uh, the sitcoms that you did, and then we—I casually mentioned Hollywood Squares at the beginning. Is doing a warm-up for a game show the same, or is there a significant difference? Um, significantly different, yeah, because most stuff is new, even though they're still there for a long time. Mm-hmm. It's not—you don't hear the words "okay from the top." which is like death. <laughs> when you hear from the top, you know these people already heard the scene. Uh. <laughs> the producers want the same laughs, and I'm thinking to myself, are you, are you insane? <laughs> but it's like somebody down and go, okay, let me tell you a joke. Two guys go into a bop, and it's funny, and they laugh. Mm. And uh, two seconds later, okay, let me tell you a joke. Two, the same joke. You're not going to get somebody. <laughs> right. Come on, do it four times, not only are they not going to laugh, they're going to hate you. <laughs> right. 
But that was mainly when you're uh, when you're warming up for sitcoms, right? You wouldn't do that type of material. You wouldn't do the from the top on a game show. Aren't game shows no, like no, straight through? Yeah. When you say is there a difference yeah. with the Tonight Show, and I also did Dennis Miller. Okay. Um, when he had a late night show, um, yeah, I mean there was no retakes. Right. It was you know straight through. They're still there for Hollywood Squiz because we did three shows with game shows because the celebrities usually are busy during the week we do it on the weekends mm-hmm. and you have the same audience for three different shows so Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday mm-hmm. so they're there and for me it's like you're not going to say hey how you doing yeah we know <laughs> who you are yeah. you were just here <laughs> and it was tough getting audiences they did a lot of halfway houses and methadone clinics <laughs> No, they did. I mean, you couldn't get normal people. It was a Saturday, you know, for three hours. They bust them in. The methadone clinics got paid, like, you know, $5. They got a sandwich. Uh-huh. And I was with them for three different shows. So it was it was difficult in its own way, in a different way than the sitcoms. Mm. Now, were you, did you do any other game shows or just Hollywood Squares? Just Hollywood Squares, but I, I would also do other types of audiences. I did infomercials. Mm. I did uh, some clip shows, which is, uh, I forget who it was, Dick Butkus and Bubba Smith. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking America's Funniest Home Videos, but not that. Okay. <laughs> Pretty close, though. Uh, you okay. know, the, the clip shows are clip shows. Um, Pat O'Brien did a show, How They Do That, was the name of the show. Um, I did a music video for Michael Jackson. <laughs> oh, wow. Which one was that? Yeah. Hey, Mark, read the book. Oh, read okay. <laughs> I do. I need to read the book. Okay. It, wasn't the pep- really? it wasn't the Pepsi one where his hair caught fire, wasn't it? <laughs> no. <Yeah>. Anyway... <laughs> Um, uh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something about, else about Hollywood Squares. Oh, uh, in the time you did, I, I heard, you know, in the Peter Marshall book, which I have read, um, he was saying that they basically did three shows and took a lunch break, uh, and then everybody got kind of plastered and then came back and did two more, and they're more kind of loosey-goosey. Was that, that still the same, or a no. little stricter by the time Whoopi's version came along? Yeah, so he's yeah. already looked, and he was, you know, still the, the funniest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but we'd be full because Whoopi, <laughs> when she when she took it over, demanded that people ate pretty good because these were her friends. You know, she would have Robin and Billy Crystal and use a lot of favors up. Yeah. So Wolfgang Puck uh, catered the lunch. So we weren't drunk, but we were pretty full. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard that um, I listened to um, Bruce Valanche on um, Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, and yeah, he was talking about Wolfgang Puck providing the food and everything like that. For <laughs> hey, I'm telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, 
Was there any other types of uh, shows that you did? You said game shows. You said infomercials. You said um, um, well, how, the only the only live audience show I've ever been in is the Tonight Show when Carson was still on it, uh, and he wasn't even there that night, unfortunately. But uh, Ed McMahon just did the warm up, from what I remember, and uh, then he only did a little bit at the beginning. Is that the same way it was when Leno was hosting, or did you do warm ups throughout the show? It was pretty standard. Jay would come out mm-hmm. at around five o'clock every day mm-hmm. in his in his jeans. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Oh, thanks for coming. And he would talk to them, and which I thought was brilliant for him to do that because now he's their friend. Mm-hmm. And he would do ten to twelve minutes, and they would take some Polaroids of people from the audience, and then he would go and change. Mm-hmm. That's when I would come out. When he was changing into his suit for the show, I would continue the warm-up and really get them revved up. And then when he was ready, no matter what I was doing, the stage manager would go, he's ready. Go, Ladies and gentlemen, we're ready. <laughs> it didn't matter. Yeah, I was just, uh, I was a bookend at that point, so I would just say, okay, we're ready. And that would be it. So that didn't give you a good idea of what actually the warm-up is because yeah. that was a truncated yeah. version and to be honest pretty easy i mean yeah. it was to this day the best job i ever had 10 minutes a day for 15 years right pretty pretty nice yeah and as far as i know you you pretty much shot live on tape you didn't uh, stop unless there was some technical error right so very very really yeah i mean Yeah, because I had a friend of mine who went to a different episode, and it was B.B. King playing, and for some reason there was mic problems during his performance. So at the end, they had to have B.B. King do his performance again. And uh, so that was the only time. Yeah, a technical, yeah. technical glitch would do it, but, yeah. you know, just a, a, a misspoken word or something falling, they wouldn't stop. Right, okay, all right. Um, well, I think that explains everything that you're doing. Uh, is there anything else in the book I should look out for? I will definitely get a copy of your book because I like those type of you'll, you'll see TV biographies. You'll get an idea of, of the, the amount of stuff that I have. I mean, I, I had a, you know, just limited to the shows that I talked about in the book, but I have them for every show and sports figures. And then, you know, this is what the documentary is going to cover. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited about this. this. This could be fun. We're coming out to L.A. next week to do that. Now, I didn't get quite clear. The The documentary, is that, ex- that documentary based on the book, or does it just happen to coincide and be similar to the Loosely. book? Okay. Loosely. Loosely. Okay. They, they, the, the take that these uh, the producers are thinking of is, uh, look at the story behind this. A guy from a little town in Rhode Island falls into show business, becomes pretty successful. I mean, I guess I was considered, you know, one of the better warm-up guys, if not the only one. Well, certainly if he kept working, you know, yeah. Very limited field. <laughs> and then when it was all over, he goes back to, you know, what's important, which is family and friends. Very good, wow. So, you know, that's, that's the take on, on the documentary. But, again, based on the book, which is called warm-up guy, so mm-hmm. yeah, there, there's a, a, a pretty good tie-in with that. Okay.
Okay. And is the documentary a done deal? Like it's uh, going to be appearing somewhere on like Netflix or HBO or something? Or you know, that, that's the plan. So okay. hopefully, look at I, I was in show business long enough to know it's not done until the check is cashed. <laughs> I'll agree with that. Uh, any other uh, words of wisdom or anything else you'd like to impart before we go? Always check your oil. Always. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's very nice talking to you, Bob. And I appreciate you. Pleasure. Good, good luck with everything. Okay. And uh, thank you for appearing on the podcast. You bet. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening, and thank you again, Bob Perlow, for being my special guest. Episode number five will be coming soon. If you'd like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. I'll also read your letters or comments on the air next time we speak. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2018 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much and have a good night.